Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and my guest for the final time is Sarah Ift Decker. This is minute number 95. Our minute runs from 1 hour 34 minutes and 0 seconds all the way up to 1 hour 34 minutes, 59 seconds and 24 frames. Our minute starts with a quick interstitial scene in which we hear... and see how Helen and Blanc reunite. And then we get Helen briefing Blanc in the personal gym of um, a very fancy rich person. That's everything she said, I think. I think maybe you should take up drinking. You're just killing it. Lionel and Claire were never there alone. But Duke came early and Bertie came late. Yeah, but they could have gone there early, killed your sister, circled away, and then waited for the other to arrive. It's just... Shit. Something, something is just teasing the edge of my brain. This, this case confounds me. It just confounds me. We don't have a motive for mm. Duke or Bertie. Do so, either of you two what? want to do a session or what? I'm on the clock. No, no, no not right now. Maybe later. All right, it's your money, not mine. And, of course, we get the fantastic cameo from Serena Williams. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so how'd you get on with this minute? Ah, I love this minute. I absolutely love the the Serena Williams bit. I think it's amazing. Yeah, um, because it's like... Yeah, I don't know. It, why, it just got me thinking, what makes a good cameo? Because I agree, this is this is yeah. great. Her fame and her position there and the way it looks like a poster of her. Although I think I, I, think I copped, you know, when, when I first saw it, I think I did notice um, that she was slightly moving and that there was something, you know, a live look to the, to the feed. I noticed she was moving, but I thought it was like a pre-recorded video. Yeah. Or there are <laughs> moving billboards where there's like stuff like that. Right. So it kind of yeah, looks yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but I kind of knew what the gag would be, but I loved watching it play out as well. It was great. So, yeah. um, yeah, because like this, only works because she's famous and the the joke is Mm -hmm. that she's famous and she's playing herself uh, playing herself very well by the way Um, you know not being stretched as an actor to do this scene but but not but like absolutely you know not breaking a sweat doing it either which like is more Mm -hmm. than I can say for most um, sports or music celebrities you know generally when when somebody comes from outside of uh, you know especially sports like outside of the performing mm-hmm. arts and they're famous for some other reason they're usually really cringy in the acting department but this is uh yeah serena's great here and then so it, so yeah because like celebrity cameos just feel so unnecessary so much of the time and yeah for this is like the joke only works because she's famous you know yeah, and it also it fits in very well with what we've seen of like of like Miles's name dropping, right? Yes. That you know the doc is a Banksy yeah. and Ricky Jay trained my puzzle yeah. guy, yeah. and Jillian Flynn wrote my murder mystery, and uh, you know good. this is Jeremy Renner's hot sauce, <laughs> and, you Jared know, right? Yeah. It's like it totally makes sense yeah. that you know that if he's Serena trained, Williams does well, his fitness. Yeah, it's it's like I'm going to be trained. It has, it has to be the best. You know, uh, yeah. it has to be, you know, somebody um, 
yeah, who's like only a world class athlete is good enough to train mm-hmm. me uh, a computer programmer, you know, or whatever he is. I don't, I don't right. know if he even is a programmer, but he's like whatever his background is, like a, an entrepreneur, we'll say. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like completely, you know, overestimating your own abilities and mm-hmm. needs, you know, that's like, yeah. Like Serena Williams is so preposterously overqualified for the job of training this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I also just love how preposterously also just over the top it is that not only is he personally trained by Serena Williams, it's not like he schedules time with her and then is in there for a session. It's that he just has her on the clock at certain times or whatever. (laughs) And And he doesn't necessarily show up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah and then he's and then like she just is like pay, he's like paying serena yeah. williams to just sit there yeah it's your it's your money it's your time yeah it's great and, and then, then she she's... like and then she like she's like all right and like breaks it she's like all right it's your money and like breaks out a book like yeah yeah and hilarious. the book is gravity's rainbow which is a reference to the first movie <laughs> so yeah uh so blanc hasn't read it you read but gravity's rainbow i have not uh, you name it, I haven't read it. That's my that's my proud boast of how bad at reading I am. Um, I was uh, I was I was mentioning in the green room that I am a um, uh, that I have ADHD and which doesn't make me illiterate, but I just you know I find it extremely hard to to get into a book. I've I've bought many a book, I've started many a book, and uh, but finishing them is is kind of a monumental achievement if it ever happens. Yeah, I've. Uh... I have read Gravity's Rainbow, and it's not that Gravity's Rainbow isn't good, but also Gravity's Rainbow is like, it's not necessarily that Gravity's Rainbow is insufferable so much as that in the vast majority of cases, I understand I just said I read Gravity's Rainbow, in the vast majority of cases, if somebody has told you they've read Gravity's Rainbow, they're probably (laughs) like absolutely insufferable. Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of like an Ayn Rand situation, um, although probably insufferable for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's not, like, morally reprehensible. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, really pretentious. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it is, there is that thing of, like, uh, you know, we're, I don't know. We are talking about, like, being comfortable with your own masculinity earlier. With the, There's also kind of a thing of, like, being, being comfortable with your own intellectual level. And I think a lot of people who, and I don't think, I'm not accusing Serena of this, but a lot of people who, who feel the need to flex intellectually, you know, that will, like, make sure people can see that they're reading Jean-Paul Sartre or whatever, you know, that, like, right, that, yeah. that it's this kind of insecurity thing that a lot of people will use. And, like, oh, have you read Gravity's Rainbow? And it's, like, they've got, like, a couple of, you know, rehearsed talking points about it. And it's, like, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you can smell it a mile away. <laughs> it's, like, you can, yeah. you can really, one of those, one of those, uh, red flags that people will will offer up and let you know yeah. that they're full of it <laughs> yeah and I, and I feel like most people read gravity's rainbow to say they've read gravity's rainbow yes yeah one of the like ulysses um yeah although i think it would be probably a bit easier to get through than than ulysses i don't know though i haven't haven't yeah. read it haven't read ulysses either um <laughs> so uh yeah, I don't. I don't want to sound proud. I'm not proud that I haven't read things. I would love to have uh, read more things, but um, yeah. So, can you think of other good cameos that you like, or or, or or bad cameos, the ones that really don't work? And I mean, I will say, I feel like Ryan Johnson does really good cameos, yeah. and actually, my favorite Ryan Johnson cameo 
is Daniel Craig in The Last Jedi. Uh, oh, really? Does he show up in The Last Jedi? Yeah. I know he's in The he Force is. Awakens. You don't see... You don't see his face. He's a... Or no, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, was that... In the, that is The Force Awakens? I really thought that was uh, Last Jedi. Yeah. It does yeah, kind anyway. of... It kind of more matches with The Last Jedi because they've worked together. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. He did that cameo in uh, the start. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I just convinced myself that it was... Uh, that it had to be The Last Jedi because of the um, Ryan Johnson, Daniel Craig connection. connection. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, but that... that yeah, but I do love that cameo and that he is uh, credited as JB007. Oh, great. I didn't know. It's his didn't official like, yeah, stormtrooper yeah. ID name. His, yeah, his, uh, I think it's hilarious. Designation. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and in this movie, um, Ryan Johnson does it and 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 uh, does like yeah, you got Yo Yo Ma, who I confess I didn't recognize when I first saw it, but uh, um, and uh, and of course the the Among Us uh, Zoom call with the yeah. with the um the, the the three people we had there that lots of people have talked about in this podcast, so I won't bother trying to recall all their names because names are difficult. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then have we got have we got anyone else in? Well, of this course, movie, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh yes, Joseph as, Gordon uh, as the dong, as the dong, which is beautiful. And Daryl is a little bit more than a cameo; he's a tiny, yeah, but yeah. he's always he's uh, and, and kind of the way. Ryan Johnson uses um, Noah Segan is not really mm-hmm. cameos, I guess, because Noah Segan isn't yeah. quite famous. No, he's famous in my heart, mm-hmm. but he's not you know, right. quite famous enough to count as a cameo. But he he does show up in these um, in these small roles. But yeah. So what else can we get into in this particular minute? Uh, so I do like, I will note, so that, uh, when they're in the gym, Helen is, uh, finally, like, drinking water. Yes. After all of her hard kombucha. And I noticed on this watch, which I hadn't before, that at some point when it pans out, that you, that there's a shot behind her, and there's, like, three empty water bottles. <laughs> so she's just, like, absolutely... <laughs> like, chugging water. Chugging water to, Yeah to yeah to to like quickly rehydrate but if she doesn't also get some electrolytes into her some salts um that water is just going to go straight through her if uh if she's now that she's drunk yeah i mean and like you know it's you know it's good to hydrate in terms of like not having a hangover the next day but also like it's not going to make you not drunk no no but it <laughs> but it, again it's something you can control and it's something that'll make you feel yes. like you're getting sober and uh yeah and it's just yeah. like, and water is just kind of so, you know, associated with health and even, you know, like our ideas about health, health and virtue and stuff. It's like, oh, I'll do the good thing. I'll do the healthy thing to uh, counteract mm-hmm. uh, whatever badness I've done. And it's just like, yeah, water is, you know, basically magic, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's a great little touch with the multiple bottles. Yeah. So as we are here now in friday where we can have a kind of a broader discussion and acknowledge things we haven't seen yet in the movie um yeah i just thought we would jump into this and in our week of five minutes um is there stuff we want to kind of talk about and and Mm -hmm. contextualize for with with like now that we can acknowledge uh the ending and whatever else is yet to come Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, so I'd actually love to go back to this question that you asked, right? Is Helen too virtuous? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I had I had like planted that in an earlier one, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it's really it's really just a question. I don't even know what my own opinion of it is. I, do, I there are flaws in this film, but I didn't really see that's one of them I, so much as this kind of similarity of position that Helen mm-hmm. has with with um, uh, Marta from from Knives Out. But uh, but yeah, go for it. Is is Helen too virtuous? So I don't think she is. And so yeah. I will say, okay, on the one hand, I, I do think it is interesting, right, that with both of these characters, in addition to the way, right, that they are positioned as being potentially vulnerable um, individuals and in that they're both women, they're both women of color, yeah. uh, and that also they both actually have professions that I feel like are associated with, like, virtue and relatively mediocre pay. Yeah, that, absolutely. Um, it's right, like that, uh, woman's Marta work is, is undervalued. And, and right. I, I've, I've recently changed yeah. career and I've, I've, I'm a care worker now and I'm just seeing mm-hmm. how, you know, I'm in a traditionally female role and I can see how much mm-hmm. of it is and how, how kind of under-rewarded um, the, the work is, although it is rewarding in its own yeah. way, definitely. And I don't regret um, moving in this direction. But but yes, please, please continue. Yeah. So, and, you know, and, you know, you know, education, right. And she's like a third grade teacher, yeah, right. Yeah. That's very much as, you know, this, uh, this kind of work that is also kind of, yeah, stereotypically women's work, especially when we're talking about education at that, at, at that, that level, yeah. um, you know, and education in general, I say as an educator is yeah. undervalued, pay me more. <laughs> um, so there are all these ways in which we are kind of emphasizing them as like kind of fundamentally decent people and i think in this kind of context of uh, the the sort of sins of the rich they're also people who are both vulnerable and people who are like underpaid relative to like the you know importance labor and ethical value of the work that they're doing yeah but i do think that there are some interesting moves that they make with helen and the reason i said i wanted to wait for talking about spoilers to answer this question yeah. is because what i was thinking about is i was thinking about the end and when she like goes on this like destructive rampage and i was yeah. trying to figure out that doesn't feel character wise like it comes out of nowhere for me that snap and yeah. i was trying to figure out why Great. And I think that is that Helen doesn't see the good. At, okay, I don't mean this in a mean way exactly. Go on, like go on. Yeah, Helen, yeah. Helen is not one of those people, and I associate this with being a little too virtuous. Gotcha. That Helen is not one of those people who is like desperate to see the good in people. Right. Helen, and uh, I'm assuming Darren will excuse a swear if it's a quote. Yeah. Helen refers to these people who are her sister's best friends yeah. as the shitheads. Yeah. And has always referred to <laughs> <Yeah>. them <laughs> as the shitheads. Yeah. Like that's not something that happened post. Yeah. them turning on her it's like she's always been like these people are terrible yeah and i think that actually kind of helps keep her from seeming too virtuous is that she seems very like clear-eyed about people she doesn't yes. seem she doesn't like maybe she's virtuous but she's not yeah. nice and she's yeah. not nice necessarily no no like, and i guess i i think and it probably when i i said it i shouldn't have even framed it as too virtuous too just too good and capable more broadly mm-hmm. is kind of more what i should have said um because you yeah the too virtuous thing isn't too she's she's not even 
superficially presented as particularly virtuous because mm-hmm. she's so kind of she shows her anger and she shows uh, you know not that anger is not a virtue it absolutely can be um, and, and it is definitely kind of directed in, at the right uh, targets in this movie you know but um, but yeah that she's just uh, and I you know I, and I think she's a great character and I think she does kind of say, she does set herself apart from um, from Marta and I certainly didn't notice the parallels between them upon my first viewing because on my first viewing mm-hmm. of any movie it's an entirely convincing world that I you know I'm looking into and I, it's only when I get my analytical mindset on afterwards that I kind of notice these things so it, the, so the parallels would have to be you know extremely heavy handed for me to, to pick up on them on my first viewing you know but um, mm-hmm. but yeah I think like I, I would love for a third for a third one for there to be a departure in uh, for a third Benoit Blanc mystery to have quite a departure in who the protagonist mm-hmm. is and um and i definitely think like having the wealth angle is mm-hmm. is absolutely fine to continue especially because that's like core to the 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 genre uh you know it, mm-hmm. it, part of the appeal of the genre is the is well certainly the 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 movie version of um uh, mystery thrillers um is part of the appeal is like putting glamorous people in glamorous places and having mm-hmm. wealth and opulence um yeah. to kind of to just enjoy on a eye candy level but also as you know this this stark contrast with the mm-hmm. the um you know the horrors uh, and the murder and it also adds this kind of veneer cuz the murder mystery is a very strange genre in that the central part of it is the thing that the the genre is like least interested in and most kind of icked out by (laughs) you know the Mm -hmm. the genre never wants to dwell on the murder aspect of murder you know it just wants to have fun and um Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't do this with any other type of violent crime. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're not yeah. going to do a whodunit about sexual assault or something. It's just, it's way right. too it's, horrific. Which is probably for off. the best. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, believe me. But it's, but it's like, it, it's, it's, we're, we're weird about murder. We're, we, we kind of think yeah. it's fun, you know? And I don't know yeah. why we do. I think it's kind of to do with like maybe transgressive ideas and, and mm-hmm. like what happens when the rules get broken and we see all these kind of consequences but like it's you know murder mysteries I'm sure somebody can point out notable exceptions but murder mysteries by and large are like really you know really uninterested in um, the kind of the the, the, the more visceral and uh, uh, gory details of a murder. Right. They'll often be quite detailed about method and planning and stuff like that, but they're mm-hmm. not going to bring you into that moment of like yeah. thinking about a windpipe collapsing. They'll just be like showing right. the, you know, the gloved hands going around the neck or whatever, you know. And, you know, he, and this film in particular is also a very unbloody murder yes. right i mean yeah, there's it's a, yeah. a blood a blood free murder in yeah. fact and the uh, and in knives out there's only the only blood is in fact self-inflicted by the murder victim yes yeah right i mean yeah so. absolutely yeah and it's it's just yeah that's so so like 
you know, Ryan Johnson gets this label attached to him all the time of like subverting expectations. And like, obviously, mm-hmm. that is somewhat earned. But what it kind of forgets when we're talking about the uh, the the genre and I'm by no means an expert or even particularly a big fan of, of murder mysteries I enjoy them and I, I but I, I haven't like you know dug through loads of them and, and I don't you know it's not even a favorite thing of mine um, movie wise although I'm kind of getting there you know um, but it's uh, but but what I do know is that subverting expectations is key to the genre and it's always been a part of it mm-hmm. and Agatha Christie played yeah. with the audience expectations and you know spun you around in different directions and um, and I think from from what I'm reading about this film and where it relates to other murder mysteries is that um, Agatha Christie kind of played with the formula and the structure more mm-hmm. than she's kind of given credit for and stuff um, so I'd have to you know look into that myself but because this film uh, and I want to get this is what I really want to get into is kind of subverting the the structure where Knives Out um, subverted in the sense that it gave us the information at the very beginning mm-hmm. And then gave us loads of extra context to doubt that and then put us back where we began. But now with new information, it's brilliantly structured. Mm-hmm. But this film goes kind of further in that it it actively hides information from the audience that some right. of the characters do know. And that's what I wanted to get into with you and what your thoughts are on that, because you could look at this and argue that that's a cheap move. And some people who who are coming at this film as mystery fans have argued exactly that. I mean, and I don't think it is that. I mean, I think that's actually, I actually think that's something you see in plenty of murder mysteries, that there's always going to be information that a character knows that we don't know. Um, but it's usually it, just the killer, I think. Right. Um, usually, but I'm not sure it always is. I can't, I yeah. will say I can't think of it a specific example, yeah. but I don't yeah. think it is always necessary. It's, it's usually not the detective. Yes. Right. I think and that's, that's probably, but I think that's actually, I think that is a departure, but I think that's a cool departure. I think that's a yeah. cool subversion that we assume that our detective is, we assume that he's a reliable narrator, right? Yes. Was, we assume, but it's also like, I think it's interesting because, like, it's the way it structures a movie. I mean, but he's not... It's not actually that he's an unreliable narrator. It's that he's not a narrator. Yes. He's a character. Yeah. And we're not in any of the characters' heads, really. No, we're not. The the the, <laughs> the point of view character is arguably Helen, but only from a kind of a moral compass point of view, not from a... We're, we're we're by no means given information in the order that she receives it far from it right yeah and i think she's actually and i think that's one of the interesting things right is that we have i think that in the first like half ish of the film i actually don't think there is an obvious point of view character and then no. helen turns into the point of view character. oh that's interesting yeah yeah I think that's and I think we you're get right. these yeah. scenes again from her point of view. Yes, so that we're by, by the end now very grounded um, with with Helen and very very much in her POV. That's cool. Yeah, um, and then yeah, because I watching it 
for the first time, I think like this didn't occur to me as a problem with the film at all. In fact, the yeah. the sport of it, the the Back to the Future two of it, of going mm-hmm. back and reevaluating the same scenes, yeah. is just so fun and so compelling yeah. that it just you know kind of sweeps you along. And any um, you know, I think you'd have to be watching the film with your arms folded and and kind of waiting to hate it and right. and, and pounce on structural problems like that in order to not be kind of swept along with it um yeah. you'd have to be you'd have to be yeah. ben shapiroing it you know um, right but yeah especially also because i really think upon rewatching it i think there's so much that is there in the first half of the film yes you just don't know to pay attention to it exactly because th- what this film is doing and which is so fun especially on repeated viewing is it's doing the murder mystery thing of giving you clues all the way but it's giving you clues about this other thing <laughs> which has nothing to do right. with the murder it's giving you clues yeah, about so you don't this know is that not it's a helen clue. this is and or this is not andy this is helen yeah you don't know these things are a clue and, and like i think actually that if you like I definitely did not pick up on this quite when I first watched it. Yeah. Rewatching it, Edward Norton's face yeah. when he first sees Andy <laughs> slash Helen yeah. is an amazing. amazing facial expression. Oh, it's brilliant. And you can totally read it watching the movie straight through yeah. as he's surprised that she showed up because they had this falling out very yeah. publicly, etc. But once you know, like you can see on his face. Yeah him trying to work out what the hell is going on here. Yeah. Excuse me, Darren. Yeah. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> I don't think... What in yeah. tarnation? What in tarnation, what in tarnation is going, is going on, on? I don't think Darren <laughs> is going to think of hell as a curse. That's a very uh, that's a very American concept of what a curse is, like merely saying the word hell. <laughs> um, Fair enough. But, um, but yeah, yeah, we're a bit, uh, we're a bit looser, a bit bit more raw over here in Europe. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're fruits over here. That's fair. <laughs> in different ways. Yeah. In, it goes, it goes, uh, goes both ways. But, um, but yeah, so that's what, yeah, this, this movie is doing that funny thing and playing with, uh, with the genre, but it's like, it's with such a spirit of fun and the actual tricks that he's pulling are just so well, realized and so clever in conception yeah. that you're just like well this is what we're here for fun yeah. twists and and little yeah. brain brain teasers and brain ticklers are, are you a yeah. person who tries to solve a mystery along with a movie i'm really not and to be honest i actually think it's a better i mean okay I don't really try to. Yeah. I sometimes kind of will. Like, I'll be like, oh, I think that. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of of the opinion that it's a better movie if I don't get it right. I think so, too. Yeah, I know exactly what you're coming from. If I figure it all out, then, like, I think that is, like... Like, I don't want to actually feel constantly like I've, like, outsmarted everything I'm watching. Right? Like, I want 
to be surprised when, especially yeah. like when I'm watching a murder mystery, yeah. right? Like I'm not watching like a rom-com and like, oh, I figured out they get together at the end, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. Whoa, what was your first clue, mystery. detective? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, like it's a it's a murder mystery. I I if I'm watching it, like I want to be surprised by yeah. what happens. Like it's, I'm kind of always a little disappointed if I make guesses and they're absolutely. like too close. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of relates to spoiler culture more generally. Like I'm, you know, somewhat in the fandom of Star Wars and, and I, you know, people talk about their, um, you know, uh, uh, oh, like, oh, I, I, I was reading this fan theory and I was reading this. I was like, what, what were you doing reading a fan theory about an upcoming movie? What if it's right? What if the theory is right? You know, and also there's mm-hmm. certain things that when when you, when you hear them before a movie and somebody says like, well, it's not a spoiler. It's just a theory. It's like, yeah, but you know, it's true. You know, that's what yeah. they're going to do because it makes so much yeah. sense with how the movie is going to uh-huh. be. That's what. And I've just deliberately not been thinking about it. And you've just dropped this at yeah. my door saying it's not a spoiler. It is a spoiler because I know you're right. Yeah. And, um, and I had a big. And I'm not the only one. A lot of people, yeah. but like I had like a big one of these for Game of Thrones. Oh right, yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually follow um, Game of Thrones, but yeah. But, uh, you know, there was like the something about or? a character. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I th- I can't remember if it's revealed not until the final season or if it's maybe revealed in the penultimate season. Okay. Um, but it's something about a certain character's identity. Yeah. Most people listening, if they're familiar with Game of Thrones, will yeah. probably track what I'm talking about. Gotcha. But it's like. It's the kind of thing that, you know, like, I guessed it when I was reading the books. Yeah. uh, Which I read the books before the show started. A lot of, I'm definitely not unique in this. A ton of people guessed it. Yes. And I believe George R. R. Martin actually, like, said at some point, like, well, if a bunch of people guess, like, come up with a fan fan theory, and then, like, and it's, like, what you are planning, like, do you change it? Like, I guess you can't. Yeah. And he, like, says something like that, and everyone's like, okay, yeah, so he's talking about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, and he he hasn't gotten to that point in the books yet, but in the show it was confirmed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, because there's a series that did exactly that. Um, I haven't seen Westworld season two but Mm -hmm. this is what was they were building um towards something in season two and i think maybe there was a mid-season break or whatever it was they had time to change it um once people had copped it on and and so people had figured out this trick uh this this whatever the reveal was and um they the production team the writers scrambled to change it to to change to try and make all these puzzle pieces that they had built reach make a different puzzle they reached a different conclusion and apparently mm-hmm. the results are terrible and i just thought it was like yeah that is so I, it's such an overly online way of thinking like th- yeah you that's not your whole audience you know your audience is right. sitting at home and if a bunch of people want to spoil it for themselves by figuring out all the clues early let them do it. You know, they're just like, right. and people are just panicking. And also like if you telegraph something, like you, like if you just change it, then it won't make any sense. Exactly. Like, like I, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like an appealing challenge. Like in a way, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. if you set up all of this and you'd have to now make the same setup information point to this conclusion instead right. of that conclusion, it's like, it's a fun kind of intellectual like puzzle or whatever, but I, 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 I yeah. it'd be very hard to pull off and I can't imagine they did. Right. 
And for me, I kind of feel like actually like what what instead actually should mark good writing is that you still feel the the suspense even knowing what's going to happen. Like I like yes. I actually think that's the strength of like certain novel like certain historical novels that yes. I've read. I always think it's a mark of like a good historical novel yeah. if you can make me feel suspense about like how how things are going to go for Anne Boleyn. Like yeah. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's like and and it's the same with like you know. Um, yeah, Titanic, you know, oh, it sinks. Right. Oh, don't ruin the yeah. ending for me, you know. But like, the, yeah, but but even, you know, yeah, if you've, if you've revealed some information that you would rather not have revealed, the, the film should still hold up. It can't be just that, that it's yeah. a one-trick pony and the only thing it has going for it is some cool twist, you know? Yeah, and that's actually, I will say, one of the things that I think is cool about this film is that, Okay, I actually personally think that structurally, once you know the twist, we're doing we're full on spoilers now, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, once you know the twist, I think Miles has to be the murderer, and the reason I think Miles has to be the murderer is not a plot reason. I think it's a character reason. Yes. I think the way the characters are set up, I don't think any of the other four there's anything to make them more important than the others in the way that the murderer should be, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They all have a plausible motive, but none of them would be satisfying because they're all kind of equally plausible down at this, like that level. Exactly, Um, exactly. And it's Miles, it's the Miles show, it's Miles, it's a Miles-centric kind of the, the the power structure kind of has to be him but that's what ryan johnson's so good at it is he tells you who yeah. it is he tells you who it has yeah. to be but then he still keeps you guessing uh plus yeah for me i don't know yeah maybe this is partly due to my adhd and what i can only concentrate on one thing at a time is like this if i pause a movie at any given moment is i mm-hmm. probably have enough information if i stop and go okay uh-huh. who's the killer now but when you're watching yeah. a movie, you don't stop. Um, and, uh, you, well, in, in the cinema, you don't stop. Uh, and at home, hopefully, you'll have enough uh, respect for the filmmaker's intent to just yeah. let it flow and not be constantly pausing and trying to trying to figure it out. Of course, right. a lot of people out there would have super fast brains and think about things in this deductive reasoning way all the time that they will just kind of figure it out anyway. But uh, But I think this film has kind of like... It has enough else going on that it's um, that the ending doesn't just rely on the reveal of the killer. In fact, it kind no. of relies on the reveal of the killer to less than most yeah. uh, mysteries, I would say. Yeah, I mean, so I think for me, the two kind of big strengths of it are, first of all, that I think the movie, I think post-twist, to me, it's obvious who the killer is, but I think the film really effectively creates like suspense about how it's going to all play out, both like how it has played out so far and how it's going to play out in the future. Yeah. Even though I absolutely was like, well, obviously now that we know what the crime is, the killer is Miles. Yeah. I think that's a big strength of the movie. And I also actually think it's a big strength of the movie and a cool element that the twist is halfway through yes, the movie, yeah. right? That at the beginning, we're just answering, like, at the beginning, you don't guess the answer because you're not asking the right questions, yeah. right? Like, you're not asking who killed Andy. Oh, obviously, it's Miles because yeah. you don't know that Andy's dead. You don't know dead. she's dead, yeah. 
And so I really, and like, and there's actually, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like there's not that many films where the big twist comes in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Right? As it, opposed to close to the end. I Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very, it's a very Ryan Johnson thing to do and, and, sit and use is. that as a, a way to, um, yeah, reassess what you already know and have that, that kind of fun POV thing um, play yeah. out for the second half. Yeah. Right, yeah, because the twist isn't who the killer is. The twist is who the murder victim is. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that there's, a, yeah, and the twin twist. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. and I think we've, uh, yeah, I've kind of covered this in previous minutes, but just how, like, there are so many things about this film that on paper shouldn't work, should be cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the twin trope and the um, and the way we're revealing information that's like essentially unmotivated. You know what I mean? That what what, mm-hmm. what information is being kept from the audience has no kind of internal logic to it. There's no uh-huh. there's no well I guess, I guess like the people on the island don't know. None none of them know. Um except the person I mean, who that knows. It's this, yeah. Yeah. It is this kind of weird that like in the first half of the film, it's almost like we're this like third person opposite of omniscient point of view. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like we we don't know any more. Like we kind of don't know any more than like Daryl would basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's not part of this at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like yeah. if we were just like like if we were just this other person on the island and are just witnessing these events and we're not part of this and all we know are like we know kind of like the news stories, we know who these people are, yeah. but we have no deep insight into like any of their inner psyches. Yes. Like we're kind of in that position and I think that's actually really interesting. That is fun. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, Sarah, we got everything covered there that we're going to say today. Um, do you have any, any further thoughts on uh, this minute or minutes, these minutes in general? Oh, I guess I do have one more thought on this minute is that we, uh, we do at the end of this minute see Miles's fax machine. Beautiful. And yes, it trundles into life. Um, and what I actually find hilarious is just like, not only does Miles like have this affectation, right? That he doesn't have a phone. He only has a fax machine, Yeah. but that as somebody who recently had to fax something, <laughs> I feel like it raises so many excellent questions about all of the people who have, who have to do so much annoying additional work to be able to fax this guy. Yeah. Um, like my like my work like does not have like I do not have a fax machine at work. I do yeah. not have a fax machine at home. Yeah. I eventually found like a computer pro- like a like thing a, a online where you could sign yeah, yeah like a yeah. software where you that you could sign up for yeah. that would like fax something for yeah. you. Like oh, yeah. it is it's so insane. much work yeah. to send a fax yeah. now because it is like an outdated technology. <laughs> yeah, but because there used to be software because I was thinking when I was watching the film, I was like well, how would you do that in real life? Because you wouldn't actually have to print something out and put it into a fax because there are software scanners. But the software scanners I was thinking of would actually have, um, the, sorry, software faxes uh, w- would still make use of the modem. And so you could send things electronically as a fax, but it still needed the phone line. And now people don't have those copper phone lines uh, that work through the phone system and the fax. So yeah, so you need an internet bridge 
to that phone system. So that yeah. would have been that service that you were um, that you yeah. were signed up to. Uh, but so I think in real life, Lionel would have you know there would Alpha would have the means to have like a dedicated you know server rack somewhere that was connected to the phone system so that there would be a um so that he would get his his faxes wherever he was uh one number connected all around the world and stuff you know but it's more fun to see lionel have to print something out and put it into the fax machine and uh and go which is which is fun but it is but even if it is the 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 virtual version it's still a stupid amount of extra work and that's like that's like this this thing that that you know super rich people can do there's like they right. can live th- this minimalist lifestyle you know right uh, and and he can be pontificating about like i don't need a phone you know man and just it's like yeah you don't need a phone because you have people to be smartphones for you right. anybody will right. you you have people who can look stuff up for you who can tell you when all your appointments are although you know i guess he got rid of his staff for the weekend and that's why he missed his appointment with serena williams right. um so it actually ties in perfectly because he's like usually has a staff of 50 on the island and he got rid of them for right. the weekend um and so yeah so like it's it's just this this like super privileged thing where somebody can go you know i I got into the minimalist lifestyle and it's like you know the minimalist yeah. lifestyle is very attractive uh, in, in many ways for as uh, speaking as somebody who's like you know just drowning in objects and and, and uh find it hard to deal with but like but i i just do like there's kind of good and bad minimalists talking about this online and a lot of them are like just super rich and it's like you can afford to live this super streamlined lifestyle and pay people to get rid of your stuff and get like you know dedicate your life to it because you have all the money in the world you know it's like yeah and also like it doesn't matter if I throw this thing out because it doesn't bring me joy because I'm not gonna like realize because if I realize I need it in six months I can afford to just Just buy another another one one. exactly yeah yeah and so many so many people it's just like you know if you really need it, you can always buy it. It's like, no, you can always buy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's that, it's that right. Thing. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but it's like, do all of these people have, fa- like, does Duke have a fax machine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In case he needs to reach Miles? I think, I think Miles has an email address set up that will automatically forward to his fax. Or no, I, he probably has an email address set up that he and he has a person screening those emails and faxing him the who then will fax him yeah yeah yeah. but like that's hilarious yeah that if you want to talk to somebody who allegedly is like one of your best friends yeah you can't text him you can't email him (laughs) you can't call him you have to email his office (laughs) and they'll maybe forward it as a fax yeah but (laughs) then each of those faxes those particular fax machines shown in the movie, they all have phones on them. So yeah. if you know the phone number of that fax machine, you can ring it. Now maybe he's That's got true. maybe he's at the maybe he's disabled that somehow, but like mm-hmm. um you know, it will you it that the fax machines usually were faxes and, and uh phones in one or at least past a certain point they were. Um yeah. So so you could see this uh you know, the 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 I so there could be an opportunity to make an actual phone call, but it would be this, you know, analog phone call that uh, Miles right. Brown would love the idea of, even though that's preposterous because it's all digital infrastructure yeah. up to that last right. uh, few bits of, you know, meter of copper or whatever. Yeah. 
And also, like, even if you can call him, it's like he has this massive house, and in one room of this massive house is like well, his one phone and fax machine. Yeah. Well, no, he's got them in several or rooms. No, in a couple. Yeah. No, he does yeah. have multiple. He does them in several rooms, but like, yeah. I bet he, I, like, he's, he's not in. But I, I bet it's, an, it's not in every room. No, it's not by the pool. Yeah. Of course, that just does remind us that there was a time not so long ago when um, people didn't have mobile phones and their phones were in their houses and uh, yeah. civilization did function. Um, uh, it did. It, yeah. it did. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, but to yeah, whatever no, extent. I just like, I find it very amusing, like all of these other people who's, I mean, like amusing, but also incredibly obnoxious, just like all of these yeah. other people whose like everyday lives are like, affected by yeah. this one guy yeah. being the guy who's uh, like no yeah and the know. team of people who do the job of a smartphone for this guy <laughs> yeah 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 oh good stuff okay well we could be talking about this forever sarah but i am gonna go ahead and wrap it on up uh, so good. won't you tell us where you can be found online yes you can find me on uh, what is formerly known as Twitter, a.k.a. Fake Miles Bronze social media platform, <laughs> uh, at Sarah Ifchdecker. And uh, you can also find me at my podcast, Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where I talk about pop cultural representations of the Middle Ages and usually what they get wrong. And that is also on Twitter at Media Evil Pod. Excellent. And uh, listeners... Please come and connect with this show on the social media platform that never had any problems until it was bought last year. At Glass Onion Min, all one word. And um, and a big thank you um, as I wrap up this week to our producer, uh, Darren Husted, uh, for putting all of this together. Thank you, Darren. And if you are listening to this... No, you're definitely listening to this, so there's no need for the word if there. But uh, but given that you are listening to this, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform uh, you are listening to it on. And uh, we will see you next time on another Glass Onion Minute. <laughs>